Amen. I'm probably going to touch on a similar thing tonight, just a little bit. Um, one of the reasons that things are going on in Gaza right now is because God wants them to be saved. I'll give you a verse for that tonight. But uh, uh, anyhow, we're going to be in the book of Exodus here for uh, Sunday school. It just worked out better to be in Sunday school time. So Exodus chapter 15 is where we're going. Exodus chapter 15, if you're not familiar, they've, they've just crossed the Red Sea. They're on the other side. They, they are, have witnessed, if you will, the entire Egyptian army being, if you will, defeated by the water, crashing in on them. Um, the Bible says they saw the Egyptians washing up on the seashore, and so they knew they were dead. And, and, um, and uh, this has nothing to do with the message, but even this last week I noticed that in archaeology they, went, they, they, they found a, a buried sword. And I don't know if it was from here, but... I'm just saying if somebody knew where this spot was, I promise you they, they would go down there and look. By the way, they have, if you're not familiar with that. Um, and they think they find the wheels and everything. But, folks, after this many thousands or hundreds of years, you know, it's all rusted or gone. So they have different kind of evidence. But anyhow, anyhow, we know it happened. And in Exodus chapter 15, they know it had happened. And so now they're just giving praise, if you will, for what God has done. And so in verse 1, the Bible says, Then sang Moses. Now I want you to notice something here, because uh, Brother Mike uh, Young and I used to always have this conversation, um, do angels sing? Do angels sing? You guys ever heard that? And The Bible never really says the angels sing. The Bible says the angels say, but never says the angels sing. Well, the reason I bring this up is because right here it says, Then sang Moses. And the children of Israel, this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, y'all see that? And so if you will, you know, do angels sing. I'm not trying to create a controversy right off the top here, but uh, I think you could use that verse right there and say, yeah, angels sing. Because it, when he was singing, he was speaking, and so if you will. The Bible says, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. I'm going to stop there for just a second here. The Bible says Red Sea. Anybody know what most critics say? Reed Sea. And the Reed Sea is only waist deep. Red Sea is, I mean, it's a sea. It's an ocean. As a matter of fact, I told you this a, a couple weeks ago, but God had to have put some special formations there to let them cross on dry land because if not, the two continents are separated. It would have been too steep for people to go. Okay, And so God had to prepare a place for them. By the way, aren't you God? God can prepare a place. Okay, And so he prepared a place. And, uh, and so I hear the Bible says Red Sea. There's no, there's no doubting that. And the Bible says, uh, it says, The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. In the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sendest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. 
And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together, and the flood stood upright as in heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, uh, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand. The earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Uh, thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Uh, I, you guys know where we're talking about there? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I've, I've been doing a little studying on that here lately, but just amazing how often that that is the focus of God's attention, even until the end. It says, Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed, the mighty men of Moab trembling shall take hold upon them, all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them, by the greatness of thine arm uh, they shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell to dwell in in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. And then it should be noticed next, Miriam takes up the praise. The Bible says, And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered uh, them, saying, Sing ye unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the land of the wilderness of Shur. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Just apply your blessing. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's, uh, think about this. Have you ever had something exciting happen? You know, this is deer season. Whenever somebody gets a deer, you know, they, they, they want to tell everybody, here's my deer, and you want to tell your deer story. And, I mean, I was like that. I got a deer. I never got a real big one, but, man, I, I enjoyed my deer story and everything like that. That, that. that pales in comparison to watching three million people walk through the middle of a sea on dry ground. I tell you, sometimes I like to imagine things. I like to imagine the fact that when they're walking, they're kicking up dust. I just, I just, you know, when God says dry, it means dry, don't you think? And, uh, and, uh, and then we talk about, you know, I, we'll talk about this here in a second, but the walls of, of water on both sides, and then you get to the other side, and your enemy who is coming to pursue you, to kill you, God goes whoosh, and then they're, they're laying at your feet dead on the seashore, or, yeah, on the seashore. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'd want to talk about it, all right? Well, think about it. That's exactly what he's doing. He, who's, who's he going to tell? Everybody was there. They've already know the story. So he just takes and he turns and he praises. And he says, God. And he's not saying, did you see that? What he's saying is, I saw that. This, you did this. And wow, what a mighty God. How you destroyed our enemies. And you're taking us to a promised land. And, and, and what a, a great and wonderful God. And, and, and then Miriam takes it up too. Amen. And you think about it. And. 
I, I just want to teach a lesson this morning on taking time to praise. Taking time to praise. Can I ask you this? Does God still work in our lives? God still works in our lives. Amen. And, and I will tell you, it's important for us to take and to take a time to praise. Notice the reasons to praise the Lord. And first off, there's personal reasons. Look at verses 1 through 3. And, and so in verses 1 through 3, uh, then Moses and the children of Israel, uh, uh, then sang Moses and children of Israel this song unto the Lord. He says, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. Verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And think about this. He's praising him first off in, in verse 1 there for who he is. He says, <coughs> he says, I will sing unto the Lord. Okay. I will sing unto the Lord. Literally in this, he's the object of worship. He is the object of praise. You know, I think it's important for us to remember sometimes who our God is. Who is our God? Just talk to me for a second. Who is our God? Not a trick question. Is our Savior. Very good. Yeah, he protects us. He guards us. Amen. Creator. Provider. Okay. Security. Oh, you already said that. Keeper. Yeah. <coughs> and so, if you will, whenever we praise the Lord, that's kind of where we should start. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay. You know, that's the, if you will, a model prayer. And, um, and, and so, just our Father. He's our Father. Amen. He's in heaven. All right. By the way, where I want to be. All right. And, and so, if you will, reasons to pray the Lord, the personal reason, just for who He is. He is the object of worship. And, and care should be taken for what we do praise, though. I want you to think about this. What do we talk about? What do we get excited about? What do you call somebody who gets real excited at a football game? A fanatic or a fan, yeah. Fanatic or a fan. And, and so, if you will, you think about this. We don't have trouble praising. We don't have trouble getting excited. The problem is, though, is sometimes we can get far more excited about those things than we can about the Lord and our relationship with Him. And I don't know about you, but what is our most important relationship? You know, at the end of the day, and especially you'll notice this, if ever you're going through a hard time or, you know, or, or just your busyness of life, um, a lot of times you can forget about your sports teams and, and, and your games and things that are important, and you just focus in on what is truly important in life. And I will tell you this, it is good to be able to have that priority. God is the one who we're going to praise. I, I won't have you turn there. I'll give you the verse if you want it. But it's Ezekiel chapter 34, 11, verse 17. The Bible says a number of times in the Bible that our God is a jealous God, meaning that he will not share his praise. You all understand that? I am a jealous God. I am not going to take and share my praise. And, and so, if you will, you know, sometimes we make it a light matter. And God says, my name is jealous. That's, that's that verse there. My name is jealous. Okay? And so, I am a jealous God. I do want you to praise me. Now, does that mean we can't praise anything else? No. I, I honestly think, I think we can fit these things as long as we make sure that, uh, when do we usually praise God? Talk to me for a second. When do we usually praise God? Run. After he's done something for us. Amen. When do we usually praise God? When times are good? Yeah. I don't know about you. I, well, you can praise the Lord when times are bad, too. Hey, at least he's never left me nor forsaken me. Praise God. Amen. 
When do we regularly praise God? On Sunday when we're singing. You realize that when we're singing these songs, we really shouldn't just be singing lip service. We ought to be thinking about the words. We ought to be taking the time to, to see the meaning, amen, and, and to really be praising God. By the way, the other time that we worship regularly is once a week we take 10% or more, or we should, take 10% or more of what God has given us, and we put it in the offering plate as, a, a, if you will, kind of a first fruits offering, saying, Lord, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for providing for me and my family. And I will promise you this, that it's, I don't know about you, but especially early on as a Christian, there were some times putting that money in the offering plate was like, ooh, you know? But I think after you get used to doing it, you, you get used to putting that, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to do that. Amen? Thank you for providing for all my needs. Thank you for rebuking the devourer. Can I say this? It ought to be more than just an obligation. Do you all understand? Because it's not true worship when you're just doing it because you have to. It's worship when you take and you write that offering check or however you do it, and you put it in an offering plate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing for our needs this week. When we take and we sing songs of, of literally sing out, sing out, because this is the song of our heart. And, 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 and uh, you know, if, if that one isn't the one that meets your need, maybe the next song will be the one that you can really take and glorify God with. And so the first thing we see, personal reasons for praise is for who he is, for what he has done. The Bible says, uh, second part of verse 1 there, he's triumphed gloriously. Can I just tell you this? Our God triumphs gloriously. I don't know about you, I, I, I lose interest. I am a sports fan, please forgive me, pray for me. But I lose interest when my team is losing. <laughs> I don't like to watch my team lose, all right? And I will pick the sports I root for depending on which one of my teams is winning at the time. And I'll just tell you that, all right? Well, think about this. Isn't it nice being on the winning team? You take and you watch, you watch the news every night and you say, how bad the world is. And, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible. And you go, no, no, it's just like God said it was going to be. And he told me we're going to win in the end. Amen. We can take and, and, we can, and we can praise him for what he has done or what he has promised to do. And then third, we see for what he means to you. I got to ask you a question. What does God mean to you? Whenever, you, whenever you're worshiping, and listen, I'm, I'm trusting that everybody in this, this class here is saved. Amen? I'm trusting that, all right? Y'all glad for your salvation? Y'all glad for your salvation every day? Think about it. Look what it says in verse 2. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. If I remember right, when I studied that word, it literally means I know I'm saved. That's what that, he has become my salvation means. I, I know I'm saved. He is my God, and I will prepare for him in habitation. Okay? Now, by the way, they're getting ready to go into a promised land, and ultimately, he talks about it here, they're going to build a sanctuary for him. We'll, we'll address this here in a second. What is that? That's the temple, is it not? And it had the Holy of Holies. Of course, they had the tabernacle before that with the Holy of Holies. Where is the habitation of God for us as New Testament believers? In our heart. And so if you will, you know the Bible describes how that we can take our heart sometimes and, and it talks about the demons that get cast out if you're not truly born again and you clean up your life 
And then the demons come back and they find it swept and cleaned and, hey, this is a nice place. And the Bible says seven demons come back in, okay, and the last the state of the man's worse than the first. Well, let's learn a principle from that. Uh, how many of you are going to have guests? You clean your house. Amen. And we know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Guest is really what ghost means. Okay, God the Holy Ghost means the Holy Guest. Okay, it's just an old English word for guest. Okay, and so if you will, God the Holy Ghost is a sanctuary in our heart. God the Father rules and reigns on a throne in our heart, if you will. You all understand that? Jesus Christ, receive him into our heart. Make a habitation for the Lord. And so if you will... That gives us the motivation for being pure and gives us the motivation for being loving. It gives us the motivation for being patient and tolerant and, if you will, all the things that God would have us to be. And, and so, if you will, uh, another way to praise the Lord is to prepare our hearts to make sure that our hearts are right before the Lord. Amen. Okay? And so we see reasons to praise for who He is, for what He's done, what He means to us. And then the second thing, verses 4 through 13, gives more reasons to praise the Lord. But these are reasons to praise the Lord to others, okay? This isn't just us worshiping the Lord for who He is to us. This is worshiping the Lord before people so that they know who He is to them or what He can do for them in a sense, okay? Well, verses 4 through 7, it says, because He drowned the Egyptian army. Now, I will tell you this. God has found some impressive ways to defeat some armies, hasn't He? I mean, He... <laughs> Go take a nap and 185,000 of you die in one night. Come on now, amen? I mean, he can, he's got some impressive ways. Uh, we talk about this all the time in the War of 67. The Egyptians were bringing tanks up to Israel to defeat him. They were going to beat him, and then all of a sudden the treads just fall off the tanks. I wonder how that happened. I'll tell you how it happened. There is a God in heaven. Amen? And, and by the way, that was designed for those people to see that. Israel, so that they might believe, but also for the Palestinians and the Egyptians and all the other enemies of Israel, so that they might see, don't mess with the apple of my eye. Don't mess with the apple of my eye. The whole idea is to get them to repent. And, and again, I'll show you that tonight. So the Bible says that they drowned the Egyptian army. He made a way through the Red Sea, verses 8 through 10. He made a, uh, a way for the Red Sea. Now, I want you to think about this. He was commanded to go and then take his staff and, and, and part the sea, if you will. And the Bible says with the breath of his nostrils, okay, it says it twice, that he, if you will, pushed back the sea. And so how hard does wind have to blow? Because that's what he's describing. He's telling you how he did it, okay? And the Bible says it's an east wind. Now, I'm always in trouble with this. Does east wind mean it's going east or that it's coming from the east? Coming from? Okay, that seems a little harder to me for some reason. And the only reason is because you've got to walk into it because they're going from west to east, guys. Okay? But, you know, I don't know how he did. I know this. They were able to walk through there on dry ground. But the Bible says that he used wind to take and to blow. Think about how focused that wind was. Think about how powerful that wind was. Okay? And it's described as God using the breath of his nostrils, and then he, if you will, he uses the breath of his mouth to close it, okay? If you study it, it's, it's, it's there. And, uh, and so anyhow, 
um, he takes and he opens that thing up. And all I could think of is if I put a shallow thing of water here, I could probably, you know, if I blew hard enough, maybe make a little hole, a little safe passage. Amen. That's kind of, I guess, what God did. You know, he took and he made that safe passage. They came through on dry ground. And by the way, it, as far as I can tell, he probably had to do it for the whole distance. Why? You got three million people in there. Okay, three, you know, approximately three million people. And he walks them all through there, and they're perfectly safe. Then he's got his Shekinah glory behind him to keep the army separated from him. Amen? And then, you know, he hardens Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh runs in there. He says, we're going to kill him, bring him back, or whatever. And, uh, and then he says, now Moses, watch this. <laughs> he gets everybody off safe. And then he must just stop blowing. Goosh. Amen. I, I don't know about you. That's a pretty impressive story. You say, well, that's just a story. It's, it's, it's not true. It is true. It is true. And we can understand it by faith. But can I also say this? We can also understand it by evidence. There's plenty of evidence that this happened. Okay. And I, I'm not going to go into all that. Notice what it says in verse 8, because this is interesting to me. I've told you I always like to think of the idea that the fish, you could see the fish swimming. Well, probably not, okay, probably not. The Bible says this in verse 8, though. It says, and the Lord hardened, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, Verse 8, it says, and with the blast of his nostrils, the waters were gathered together, and the flood stood upright as in heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea, okay? That word congealed there, it, uh, it means to shrink or to thicken, and the example they gave was like curdled milk or ice, okay? So, I, I, you know, it's, it was, to me it was either like jello or like ice, all right? You know what I do know? I don't, I don't know which one it was. I know this. It stood up a wall, and they walked in between it, okay? And probably was ice. I would, I would think it would be ice. That would seem to make sense to me. Uh, having said that, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. My, my scientific mind's going crazy right now trying to find a way to explain how to do this. And I, I will tell you this, if you take and pressurize something and then release the pressure, you know what happens? It's called a refrigerator, okay? And so maybe that's how it happened. I don't know. So anyhow, see, no amens. You don't even care. You don't care. <laughs> so anyhow, reasons to praise the Lord to others. He drowned the Egyptian army. He made a way through the Red Sea. And then he showed mercy to his people. Look what the Bible says, starting in verse 11 there. In verse 11 it says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like uh, thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, and the earth swallowed them. And then in verse 13 it says, Thou in thy mercy hath led forth the people which thou redeemed, and hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. Can I just say this? They weren't leaving Egypt because they were good people. And by the way, they're going to spend the next 40 years proving that. (laughs) They weren't good people. It was God's mercy. How many of y'all, God's done great and wonderful things for you that you don't deserve? Praise God. Amen. I want you to think about this. He showed mercy to his people. And we ought to thank the Lord, you know, a lot of times not just for what he does, but sometimes for what he doesn't do that we do deserve. Because God is patient and kind and loving and forgiving and 
to thank God for his mercy. I, I think that might be one of the best witnessing tools that we would have. But can I ask this? Is, is the Muslim God a, a merciful God? Is the Catholic God a merciful God? I had to go to a funeral here a little while back, and, and um, it was because of suicide, and I noticed the Catholic people who knew this person weren't at the funeral. Can anybody know why? Anybody know why a Catholic wouldn't show up to a suicide funeral? Folks, they believe it's a mortal sin. It can't be forgiven. Well, please take this the right way. How many of y'all are glad that God can forgive any sin? Praise God. Okay? And, and so, if you will, I, I could go through all kinds of illustrations of different gods through different religions who are unmerciful, and yet our God is abundantly merciful. And so we praise the Lord for that. We see uh, reasons to praise the Lord personal, reasons to praise the Lord to others. And then we see the lesson that enemies should learn. Look what the Bible says in verse 14. The Bible says, The people shall hear and be afraid, and sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Uh, if, you, if you look at those verses right there, in verse 14 it talks about the Philistines or Palestine. In the first part of uh, 15 it talks about the Edomites, then the Moabites, and then the Canaanites. By the way, these are all the people who inhabited the promised land from Philistine in the south, all the way up to the north with the Canaanites um, and Ammonites and all that. And, uh, and so these were the enemies that were getting ready to be displaced from the promised land. Now, why at this time? Why at this time? Why, why did God all of a sudden say, okay, now's the time to go into, into uh, Abraham, your promised land? Uh, um, I don't want to turn until you give me a guess. Why now? By the way, does God have a perfect time for everything? Yeah, okay. So a lot of times if you say, why now, why me? Well, because you're the right person at the right time. Okay, why now, why me? All right. Well, go to Genesis chapter 15. Look at verse 16. Genesis 15 and verse 16. The Bible says there, he's talking about giving them the promised land. He says, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. Okay? Essentially 400 years at that point. And he says why they had to wait 400 years before they could go in the promised land. He says, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. What does that mean? Think about it. Is our God patient, loving, and kind? Is he not willing that any should perish? Correct? So what's he saying about the Philistines, the, Am the, the Moabites, the Canaanites, I missed one, the Edomites? What's he saying? There was no more hope for him. Do you realize, folks, that God allowed the people in Canaan, land of Canaan, if you will, he allowed them to get to the point where there was no hope for redemption for them. And you say, well, how, how, how small was it? There was one redeemable person left. By the way, if somebody has a heart to believe, will God get somebody there? Jimmy just taught about him. Rahab the harlot. She was the one person. She was the last person who could be redeemed. 
You guys understand that? And so if you will, God waited until the iniquity of the Amorite was full. There was no more hope for him. And then God says, go in and kill all of them. You say, well, how cruel, how terrible. No, because if you don't kill all of them, they're going to turn your hearts to their idols, and I'm going to destroy you too. Okay, that's, that was that verse we didn't turn to earlier. Okay, and so my whole point is this, is uh, what others need to learn is this, is, um, uh, again, it's, it's, I'm going to touch on it here tonight just a little bit, but uh, you realize one of God's motivations and what's going on in Israel right now is that the Palestinians might be saved. Okay? You say, come on, they're too wicked. They're, yeah, they might be, but you know what there also might be? There might be one more soul that could be saved from them. And would to God they would see that God's moving on behalf of Israel. God's going to give them the victory. They're not going to lose. Okay? And so, if you will, uh, uh, we see uh, what the enemies needed to learn. They needed to learn who the enemies were, and he names them. You, 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 you. And then he tells them that their time has come. Okay? I want you to think about this for a second here. You remember what, uh, you remember what um, Rahab said to them? She said, we heard what happened in Egypt, and our hearts did melt. Y'all see that? You know what they're saying? We heard what happened. We know you're coming. We know we can't defeat you. Why did only one person repent? You think about this. When Jonah went to Nineveh, he went, and for three days he took and he preached... And the king heard it, and he said, we're the most powerful nation on earth. We can take anybody. No, he didn't say that. He said, that's the God of Egypt, and that's the God of, amen? We better not mess with that God. And he repented in sackcloth and ashes, and God saved that entire generation of wicked people. Come on, amen? And, and, and so, if you will, here's my question. Why, when a person is condemned, and they know there's no hope for them apart from God, why won't they repent? Maybe pride? Hardness of heart? Boy, I like that one. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. Uh, I don't know how many of y'all are following this. Please forgive me, I almost want to cry here. One of the things that they're doing, the, the Hamas, okay? Hamas, you've got to realize Hamas is a political organization, okay? And they're in charge. But, folks, what is the purpose of government? Does anybody know? Protect the people, okay? Punish the evildoers, okay? That's basically government's job. Protect the people and, and, and uh, punish the evildoers. And Gaza's, uh, uh, the Hamas is not doing that. As a matter of fact, they're saying, you will do what we say or we'll kill you. And they're enlisting children to fight their battles for them now. They may know where their headquarters is. It's in a hospital. Why are they doing that? Well, I think we already saw. They blew up one hospital. Look what they did. They blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's because your headquarters is there. Folks, get a hold of this. Those people have to know they're being betrayed by their leadership. They have to know. So why can't they just come and repent and say, the God of Israel, he is God, he is God, he is God. 
Well, because of all those reasons that we just talked about. I'm sorry? Fear. Yeah. Or they fear what they can see more than they fear what they can't see. Yeah. Yeah, it's what they were raised in. Sad but true. And that's the responsibility of the parents. Really, the betrayal of the parents on the children. Okay? But here's, think about this. This that applied here is applying in our day. We're watching it happen. And if you will, just like, just like um, Rahab said, we heard and we knew and our hearts did melt. I wonder how many of those poor kids today are getting to the point of saying, these people are betraying us. Would to God a whole bunch of them. Why? Because you'll see, I'll show you the verse if you want to read ahead. It's in Psalm 83. The whole purpose for God showing himself mighty sometimes is so that the sinner might repent. So that the sinner might repent. And so we see reasons to praise the Lord, reasons uh, to praise the Lord to others, what the enemy should learn, and then what the Israelites should remember. I, I taught this already a little bit, but they should remember the whole purpose is to give a sanctuary to God. Look what it says in verse 17. The Bible says, uh, excuse me, I'm in Genesis here. Give me a second. Verse 17, the Bible says, Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain in thine inheritance, in thy place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord. Why was God giving them a promised land? Folks, as much as anything, he was giving them a promised land because that is the apple of his eye. Some people believe this. I don't know if I do or not. I'm not going to argue with you if you do believe it. Some people believe this is the Garden of Eden. Jerusalem is where the Garden of Eden was originally, and it's possible. You can do the math on it. It works. Um, And so, if you will, it's always been the place where God has met with mankind. You all understand if that is true. It doesn't have to be true for that to be important. But the whole point is this, is he says, I want to be a God that dwells in the midst of his people. And is he going to someday? Yeah, when New Jerusalem comes down, he's going to rule and reign and be in the midst of his people. He's going to have that fulfilled. But if you will, uh, God says, I'm giving all this to you so that you might give me a sanctuary. Okay? Uh, Also so that I might be in charge in your life. Look what the Bible says in verse 18, the sovereignty of God. In verse 18 it says, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Does your God reign? Does he? Let me ask this. We can say, our God reigns. Yeah, he does. Now, here's the more important question. Does he reign here? Because one thing is say, God will save the whole world. Yeah, he will. Did he save you? Amen? God wants to be sovereign. Have you given him a sanctuary? Have you given him his sovereignty? Let him reign in your heart and your life. And then what about surety? I don't know about you. I, how many of y'all are glad to have eternal security? And it's not because of you. It's because of him. Look what it says in verse 19. The Bible says, For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Folks, they were as safe in the middle of that sea. Folks, think about this. Only one little thing has to go wrong. They all die. 
and not one thing went wrong except for those who weren't his. <laughs> and then it went very wrong. <laughs> okay, you all understand? I got to tell you, if think about this. I wonder if they walk through there in fear. Boy, I hope, that, I, I hope that wall holds. I hope that wall holds. Or if they just walk through. Oh, fuck, I can do that. Amen? And I, I would just tell you, I think it's good for us to have that kind of security because we're not secure because of us. We're secure because of Christ. Amen? And then last of all, I, I'm sorry, I had to do four S's here. I want to talk about sisterhood. Okay? What do I mean by that? Verse 20, look what the Bible says. It says, Miriam the, what's it say? Miriam the prophetess, okay? Now, I will tell you that there have been times that even in Christian circles, women don't get the proper place when it comes to things of God, Okay? And the Bible does talk about headship, and it does talk about submission. We do have our roles to play. There's similar roles in the church. Men are given leadership in the church. That's what the Bible says, okay? And God gives the motivations and the reasons for that. But the problem with that is quite often man takes the woman's role to an extreme. And I'm not trying to be cute or clever here, but... In many societies in our world today, women are treated worse than cattle. Okay? They're treated worse than cattle. Okay? And Jesus is not the one who did that. God is not the one who did that. And can I just tell you this? That women have prominent roles in God's society. Miriam had a prominent role. Amen? Think about this. Moses comes out there and worships God. And then Miriam comes out as a prophetess of God. How do you know she's a prophetess? Because God recorded her words. She's a prophetess. Y'all see it? Amen? She, she was speaking under inspiration. Her words are recorded in Scripture. And like I said, Christianity and Judaism here are the only religions that are expected to treat their women with dignity, with the dignity God created them with. Please take this the right way. But a woman, I pray, in Liberty Baptist Church, you should never feel like a second-class citizen. And women, in your home, your husband should never make you feel like a second-class citizen. Can I just tell you this? That my wife completes me. Is that true? She is a help meet for me. God specifically made her to complete me. And if you will, the Bible says male and female, he created, created he them. And he's talking about man, mankind. Meaning this, that you need both. I, I will tell you this, man's job is to say, rub dirt in it. And mom's job is to say, come here, baby. <laughs> you need both. And please take this the right way. But we got too many children being raised without fathers today where all they hear is, come here, baby. You guys understand? Both are important. Both are necessary. Both are absolutely necessary. Men's headship should not belittle or mistreat the wife just because you're in charge. And I, I would just, I, I've had counseling sessions. Where, She's my wife. She's supposed to do what I say. Yeah, okay. Read the next verse. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Amen? And so before you start banging the table about how she better respect me, you better remember you're going to give an account for how you love her. Amen. Care should be taken not to overstep, though. Why? Well, all you got to do is go to Numbers chapter 12, and Miriam says, we're a prophet just like you are, Moses. (laughs) And God says, why don't you have leprosy for a little while? You guys understand? Every role, okay, there's a proper respect, there's a proper role. By the way, if you have a problem with it, it's with God. Okay, none of us, by the way, men, we ought to take our responsibility for answering for our wives and kids seriously. But ladies, you're a help meet. You, you have a prominent role. You can help teach the children. You can help teach the women. You can take a prominent place when it comes to the things of God. You know, Jesus was the one who honored women and their contributions more than anybody else in the Bible. And I just think it's a good way to take and to finish that is the way God finished it. He didn't say men are in charge and, 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 and do everything. No, no, no. At the very end, Miriam got her say too. And, and she made a wonderful contribution. I won't have you go there, but in Mark chapter 14 and then in Mark chapter 15, the Bible talks about how much the women ministered to Jesus. And they had wisdom at times that, that the men didn't. Okay? And... One of my favorite portions of scripture in the Bible, Mark 14, 9, this that she has done will be spoken wherever this gospel goes in the world. Amen. Talking about what Mary had done for Jesus Christ. And so if you will, let's take time to praise. I think it would be a good thing for all of us to do. And we are done.